Hello, my name is Kelly Kelly. Welcome to the NICU Now audio support series. I am a NICU parent to Jackson, a micro preemie born at 24 weeks, and Lauren, a late-term preemie born at 34 weeks. I am also the founder and executive director of Hand to Hold, a national nonprofit dedicated to providing education, resources, and peer-to-peer support to families that have experienced premature birth, the loss of a baby, or have a child with a special health care need. Hand to Hold's NICU Now audio support series was developed to help NICU parents navigate their NICU journey. When you have a baby, premature or full term, there are certain illnesses and infections you hear and worry about constantly. The flu, pneumonia, and SIDS, just to name a few. However, what few parents hear about is RSV, even though it's the number one cause of hospitalization for children less than one year old. Premature babies are two times as likely to be admitted to the hospital for RSV-related symptoms than full-term babies. Even with this knowledge, most parents lack awareness about RSV. Joining us today to tell us what RSV is and how it can affect premature babies is Stephanie McCallum-Blake. She received her nursing degree from Rhode Island College and her master's in nursing and doctoral degrees from Duke University. She currently works as a neonatal nurse practitioner at Duke University Medical Center and is passionate about RSV and disseminating current evidence and disseminating current evidence-based information to providers and parents about the virus. Stephanie, thank you again for joining us. We're just so glad to have you here today to talk to us a little bit more about RSV. Thank you. I'm glad to be here today. Well, I do want to start just very simply. Um, We know in the NICU we're bombarded with new words, new language, uh, everything has an acronym. And so we're hearing RSV, many of us, for the very first time. So can you simply just tell us what does RSV stand for? What does it mean? So RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus. And this is basically a, a respiratory virus that affects the respiratory tract um, in all, um, almost all children by the time they're two years of age. So this is something that is, I don't want to say common out there, but it is something that uh, certainly um, can be a little um, difficult sometimes to distinguish between the common cold um, and RSV. But the big thing with RSV is that it essentially progresses to be a little bit more, um, it it can be worse uh, than the common cold. The symptoms uh, generally continue to just progress and it affects both term and preterm infants, so. But it's um, much more, it's a little little more uh, serious as I understand it, if happening to a baby who was preterm because they may already have um, some challenges with their lungs, they may have been underdeveloped at birth, and if we've been on respirators and uh, any other equipment, we may have some damage. So it is my understanding that for a, um, especially for a micropremia, but any baby born preterm, that we need to be a little bit more cautious about RSV. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, so like I said that, you know, it affects both term and preterm infants, um, but the thing, the big thing with preterm infants is that, you know, their lungs are, they're fully developed, but they're just very, they have smaller airways, and they're just a lot more susceptible uh, to different viruses and things like that. And so, the fact that RSV um, <clears throat> is highly contagious and, you know, it's essentially spread when, you know, someone with RSV either coughs or sneezes, um, especially if you have other children that are in daycare um, or things like that, that, you know, where they're exposed to different viruses and things like that, and then they bring it 
you know, they bring it home. And if you have a preterm baby, um, it just increases their risk, you know, substantially. Um, so to break it down a little bit further and to give you more an idea of the, the severity of RSV, one to two out of every um, hundred infants younger than six months of age that develop RSV may need to be hospitalized. So one out of every two out of a hundred mm -hmm. might require hospitalization. So that's something I really wanted to get to. It, talk to us about the symptoms. What are we actually looking for so that we know we need to get our baby to the doctor quickly? So the, initially the symptoms may start off um, as that of the common cold. You might have a mild cough, nasal congestion, runny nose, low-grade fever, uh, all the things that, you know, most of the time parents just think, oh, you know, it'll just, you know, resolve on its, you know, resolve on its own. Um, but as the virus progresses, they will start to um, not eat well, and they may not be eating well just with the common, you know, when you think that it's a common cold, but they're generally more sleepy, a lot more irritable. Um, they, their cough will change and will start to sound like they're barking because their airways are getting inflamed. And you might start to see that they're breathing fast or that they're having difficulty taking in breaths, it might look like their chest is caving in. Um, you might hear, parents might hear some funny noises, a high-pitched noise when they're breathing, uh, and that would be wheezing. And so if at any point any, you know, parents see any of these signs, they need to take them, um, you know, to the, you know, preferably to the pediatrician before it gets to this point, but if, they go to the pediatrician and the pediatrician just says it's a virus and it's just going to run its course. And even if they identify it as being RSV and they, you know, just tell parents just let it run it, to let it run its course, if they start to see any of the other signs that I was talking about, then they absolutely um, need to take them uh, to the emergency room you know, because it's going to progress and it can progress pretty rapidly. Um, and one other thing that I didn't say was that um, the babies may also kind of have a bluish appearance of their skin and that's indicating they're not getting enough oxygen. So that is a true emergency that they need to go to the emergency um, room for. Right. Well, that's, you know, I, it's been a very long time for me. My my preemie is grown now, but you know, I remember you know watching his chest and trying to decide if it was pulling. I had been told if I see his chest pulling, that that it, that was a sign that I needed to take him in, and you know just trying to to understand and look at him. But I think for moms, it's you know looking at your baby and watching your baby when they're healthy, so that then we know. When, when we're seeing something that is not right, something that's abnormal, that we know that they are struggling. And um, with others that we've talked to, they have talked about how lethargic the baby is. So we know our newborns sleep a lot, but if they are, if you're not able to rouse them, if they're not nursing, um, if they're not having wet diapers, and we know they're getting dehydrated, you know, these are all the symptoms of we really need to see a pediatrician. And, you know, what I always found is my babies always seem to get sick on Friday afternoon. <laughs> so <laughs> couldn't get them in to see the pediatrician. Um, but many of our pediatricians now have after-hours care, emergency clinics. Uh, but I just want, I hope that you will support me and that we don't want to wait till Monday. If we are seeing things that are concerning us, if it seems like things are progressing, that we want to go ahead and get our baby seen over the weekend. We don't want to wait till Monday. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, and I think that parents, you know, they have, you know, parental intuition or whatever you would want to call it that, you know, when they know when something's wrong. And I think that, you know, in that you need to trust, as a parent, you need to trust your gut that something's not right. 
And absolutely, you know, you may have gone to that first pediatrician visit and he wasn't exhibiting signs of pulling in his chest and maybe he, you know, he was eating enough that he had, you know, wet diapers or things like that. But then, um, like you said, never fails. It happens on a Friday afternoon when the pediatrician office is closed that, you know, things get worse. And absolutely, absolutely. If, you know, any parent thinks that their child is getting worse, they know their behaviors better than any of the physicians. They need to take them immediately to the emergency room to be evaluated because it progresses rapidly. And, you know, the time going from Friday to Monday um, could be detrimental. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about prevention. What can we as parents do? Um, what questions should we be asking of our pediatrician and our specialist to prevent our baby from getting RSV? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is just being aware of what RSV is. I think that education is absolutely key um, in helping parents realize, you know, what the, what the difference is and where the changes are, you know, occurring. I mean, parents need to be educated that, you know, to not take their babies to crowded places where infected people may be, you know, lurking out there. I mean, everybody loves to see babies and everybody loves to, you know, hug and kiss and all of that, you know, in terms of family members. But, you know, especially during RSV season, which uh, starts in October and goes through March to April, you know, that's the peak time to develop RSV. And so babies that are being sent home during that time you know, we really need to educate the parents that as much as everybody wants to come over and visit and, you know, love on them, they're going to be around for a lifetime. That during that time, it's okay as a parent to say, no, um, I don't, we don't want any, you know, we don't want any visitors. Or if visitors come over, make sure you have hand sanitizer at the door. So when they walk in the door, they you, they need to use hand sanitizer. Before they touch the baby, they need to use, you know, hand sanitizer or wash their hands, which is actually, you know, the better um, of the two. And I think that, you know, and then just if you, especially if you have other kids that are in school and they're coming home and, you know, who knows what they're coming home with, you know, that you clean and disinfect their toys and, you know, things like that. You know, I, I just think, the biggest thing is for parents to be educated. You know, I truly believe that knowledge is power. And I think well, that... A, a recent survey, you know, by the National Coalition for Infant Health is showing that parents really lack awareness about RSV. Yet we know this is the really the number one reason why babies under the age of one are re-hospitalized. So where do you think this gap is? Why do you think that there is such a lack of information, education, awareness around RSV? I think part of it uh, comes from uh, the fact that, you know, when parents have a premature baby in the hospital, they you know, trust that we as caretakers are doing what's best for them. And, you know, because we follow the guidance that's been set by the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, you know, if their baby is born after 29 weeks and, you know, doesn't meet the eligibility requirements for RSV prophylaxis, it's generally not a topic that may be discussed with the families um, around discharge. And so I think that that is sort of where it starts because, you know, if they have a baby that's born before 29 weeks, they're going to get synergist and they're going to get some of the education uh, related to RSV and why we're giving, you know, synergist and, and all of that. But there's that gap after 29 weeks that because we don't give synergist and they don't meet requirements unless they have certain other illnesses, that's where we lose them. And then I think that, you know, they just don't know enough to ask 
Um, and then when they go to the pediatrician, you know, the pediatricians are busy and, you know, they don't, you know, have the time to educate parents on, you know, all of that. And it's not until they develop RSV, then all of a sudden parents have all these questions about, you know, what is it and how did my baby get it and why didn't I know about it? And, you know, I just think that it needs to be, it needs to start in the hospital. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if it's a preemie or if it's even a full term, because we know that full term babies are affected by it. So I think it needs to start uh, at discharge for all babies born during that season to say, hey, you know, this is out there. It's worse than the flu or worse, you know, you can develop a pneumonia from it, but you know, you need to be aware of these, you know, signs and, and symptoms. And I know the National Coalition of Infant Health is doing a phenomenal job, you know, in disseminating information out there to, to parents. Um, they have uh, a great video called The Gap Baby, which is wonderful and really brings it down to simple terms about what RSV is and how babies um, can get it and what the dangers are. Yes, we will we will certainly link to that video from our website. So if parents uh, listening to this podcast want to visit our website and go to our podcast page, we'll have some additional print resources and videos there. But um, the GAP baby, uh, that video is, is specifically around those babies that don't fall within those certain parameters. Am I correct? Where it's not a baby under 29 weeks and what we need to be doing uh, to protect those babies as well. Is that correct? Right. That speak, that that particular video speaks more to um, babies born after 29 weeks because, like I said, if they're born before 29 weeks, they meet the eligibility criteria set by the American Academy of Pediatrics to receive uh, synergist, which is um, an, um, prophylaxis. Well, Stephanie, could you just explain that to us in layman's terms? What, what is a prophylaxis? So when we talk about prophylaxis, we're talking about giving a drug to prevent a specific disease. In this case, for RSV, Synergist is the only FDA-approved prophylactic drug that, according to its label, can be spe- specifically given to prevent serious lung disease um, in our premature uh, babies that is caused by the RSV uh, virus. And it can be given to babies uh, that are born before 35 weeks gestation. With that being said, sadly, despite what the Synergist label says and what it is the gestational age is approved for, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, who is the convening body that determines eligibility has essentially decided uh, or determined that prophylaxis with synergis can only be given to babies born before 29 weeks uh, gestation or babies with chronic lung disease or congenital heart disease, and that's of of any gestational uh, age. And this is important because, you know, parents are – again, wanting and trusting us that we're doing the best for their baby and they're thinking that when we get ready to send them home that everything is great, their babies are healthy, and they just don't know enough to ask the question because it's not necessarily brought up based on what the American Academy, what the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended. And so... I think there needs to be, you know, a dialogue started between parents and their pediatricians in terms of, you know, hey, I hear there's this drug that can be given to my baby. My baby was born at 30 weeks. You know, why wasn't I, you know, my baby given this if this is, you know, what this particular drug has been approved for? you know, to prevent my baby from getting, you know, RSV. And, you know, with the idea that the more parents have a dialogue with the pediatrician, uh, that 
you know, the things can things can change. You know, parents' voices can can be heard, and you know, perhaps there is the ability for them to receive prophylaxis, um, but that's only going to happen if they're aware of, you know, what RSV is, what we can try to do to prevent it um, in terms of giving, you know, a prophylactic drug um, along with other things just in daily living in order to prevent, you know, viruses and things like that. Right, because I think that's an important point, too, just because the child, even if the child receives the shot, that doesn't mean that they cannot still be susceptible. Uh, you know, you still want to take other precautions during RSV season and, you know, do a lot of hand washing, keeping them out of crowds and away from other children who are sick and, you know, all of those other precautionary things. But it's my understanding if they have received um, the shot, it is possible even if they get RSV, maybe it'll be a milder case um, and that they will recover more quickly. Again, I'm I am not a doctor uh, or a medical professional, so um, but that is just kind of what I've learned through the years of raising my two uh, babies who were born preterm. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So even you know, if the baby, even if babies get uh, the synergist prophylaxis, the thing about synergist is that it is what we call um, immunoprophylaxis. And so what it does is it essentially helps the babies to build their immune system up. And so that's why it's a series of shots during RSV season. They can receive up to five shots. Now, depending on when they're discharged, their first shot um, in, during RSV season would be given before they were discharged. And then depending on when in the season they're discharged, they might get two more shots, they might get three more shots, it could just be one. But the idea behind it is to help them build up an immunity um, to attempt to prevent them from getting this. Now, if they do happen to get RSV, um, then hopefully if they've gotten some doses of synergist, their immune system is a little bit stronger, that the symptoms will not be as severe as if they had not gotten uh, synergist at all. Okay. Well, very helpful to know. I, I think it's just so important that we have these open dialogues uh, and ask these questions, have these discussions with our pediatrician and the specialists who are treating our NICU graduates. Um, I know um, my daughter did not meet uh, the age criteria, but because of other health-related issues, um, she was able to have access uh, to the shot, and so I, I just think it's really important that you know we're we're well informed, asking the right questions, and always always advocating for our babies. Uh, sometimes uh, decisions are made uh, based on insurance and insurance coverage, and I think you know that is when we really have to uh, step up and and um, advocate for our babies. It shouldn't just be about is something covered or not covered. It's is it what is right and what is best for our baby. So thank you for helping us clarify that and put it into layman's terms because sometimes it can be quite confusing. So I think the main point is just for parents to uh, ask their pediatrician about RSV prevention and what um, their baby needs to um, be as healthy as possible throughout um, the RSV season. I. I don't think that this stops when magically when they turn one. I, I know a lot of families who are seeing their babies rehospitalized at ages two and three, um, but we, we certainly are, are most concerned about these newborn tiny babies who don't have fully developed lungs and are, you know, maybe have compromised immune systems. But we also want to be aware of the ongoing uh, challenges RSV does present for our our two and three year olds as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, once you have RSV, you will likely continue to develop it. And many uh, babies after they have RSV, uh, especially if it's, they have it, uh, if it's severe, you know, they 
generally will progress to continuing to have, you know, wheezing and asthma and things like that. So, you know, it doesn't just stop and go away after, you know, the first time that you get it. You're going to be susceptible to, you know, continuing to have a reactive airway. And like I said, some, you know, children will develop asthma as a result of having RSV as an infant. So it absolutely uh, continues. And that's why I said that, you know, education for parents is, is key. You know, I, I can't stress enough that, you know, parents need to be more educated, you know, about the signs and symptoms of RSV and how to, you know, prevent it as best that they, as best that they can. And, you know, that it is something that is long-term. It, and there's, there are some babies that get it and they never have another issue. Um, but when they get a cold or a virus, they may have that croupy cough and, you know, things like that. But then there is a whole other group of, you know, children that, like I said, develop asthma and all of that as a result of having RSD as an infant, you know. So um, I just want to reiterate. It is a devastating. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I said I, I was going to say that it's a, it's a devastating, um, you know, it's certainly a devastating virus. It is devastating, and I, I, that's why I think it's so important that we do take it seriously. There's better education and awareness. We know at discharge what we're looking for uh, so that we are protecting our baby once we bring them home from the NICU. And I also want to reiterate, I think it's so important for our late-term preemie parents. Uh, we are seeing more of our late-term preemies being re-hospitalized with RSV. And I don't know all the reasons why, but I would think that, you know, some of these babies are just a couple of weeks early to three, four weeks early. They're a pretty good weight when they were born. Um, they're not having any other challenges. And we bring our babies home, and they, they appear very healthy. So we are going to take them with us to Target to go shopping, and we're going to go to that play date, and we're maybe not being as cautious as if we had a micropremie uh, that we had been uh, taking care of after the hospital. So I just think it's very important for all parents to know uh, if you have had a NICU stay, if your baby has any kind of special health care need, maybe they weren't born early, but they've been born with a any kind of medical challenge and have required a NICU stay, these babies are more vulnerable and we just want to take every precaution. We want to be educated about it. We want to ask our pediatrician about it. And if we are seeing symptoms, we don't want to wait. We want to get our babies in and get them seen. And uh, we, we just want to make sure that we take it very seriously. Just like you said, it can be very devastating. Um, the the long-term complications that arise after having RSV. So, Stephanie, I just want to thank you so much for joining us and educating us a little bit more about this very important topic. Is there anything else that you want us to know? No, I think just, you know, reemphasizing education, education, education. Um, you know, there are several, you know, I mentioned, um, you know, the National uh, Infant Health, uh, National Coalition of Infant Health, and that they have their GAP Baby, uh, you know, um, YouTube video that is extremely um, educational. But again, discussions with their pediatrician, like you said, uh, Little Lungs has a website. That's a great website for parents to go to to give them some, you know, additional information. Um, you know, parents are blogging all about it. I mean, looking at blogs and, you know, the interesting thing this year was that um, the national, there's several organizations that are working to try and adjust uh, the parameters in which, you know, we give synergists. Um, but interestingly enough, um, AstraZeneca uh, actually had Vanessa uh, Leahy, who um, is Nick Leahy's wife, they had a child that had RSV, and she actually was the spokesperson this year for them on RSV. So, you know, there is just, there's information out there. You know, we just need to, 
get the parents linked to that information. Right, and I think, you know, I think it's natural. We've we've spent a long time in the NICU caring for our baby. We may be coming home with many challenges uh, and medications and follow-up appointments, and there's just a lot for us to be thinking about. And so I, I can understand how sometimes RSV might not be at the top of that list. And we are not sharing this information to, to scare parents, and, you know, we, we are not in any way wanting to be alarmist. We just want parents to have the right information so um, they can do all they can to keep their baby healthy and safe and prevent RSV. And then in the instance that the baby does develop RSV, that they know and recognize those symptoms and get help quickly so we can minimize the long-term complications from this virus. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on our podcast, and we very much look forward to continuing conversations with you in the future. Joining us now to give a parental perspective on RSV is Shanesty Ireland. Like many other parents, Shanesty had never heard of RSV when her third child, Adam, was diagnosed with the virus at just six weeks old. He eventually recovered, but Shanesty made a promise to herself and to her baby that she do everything in her power to educate other parents about RSV. Shanesty lives in Columbus, Ohio with her husband and four children. She owns a social media marketing company, White Bard Media, and also runs a successful blog, She's Becoming Domestic. Shanesty, thank you so much for joining us. We are just delighted to have you be part of our podcast. You're welcome. Uh, it's quite the honor to be part of your podcast. Well, you are such an amazing advocate and have read your blogs, have uh, been able to see you speak at conferences, and you're just so passionate about advocating for um, better awareness of RSV. And so I want to just get out of the way and let you tell your story of, you know, I think at the time you had not even heard of RSV, didn't really know a lot about it, and you got an up-close personal look at what this, what this terrible virus can do uh, for our babies. So I am just going to let you walk us through. Tell us, you know, about, about finding out um, that your children were sick at that time and kind of what you were going through and what led you to find out that your youngest had RSV? Sure. So I have three children. Um, My oldest son uh, at the time when this was all taking place was three years old. My daughter was two, and I had a newborn. Adam was born on November 4th, 2016. And my oldest son, Luke, had just entered his first year of preschool, which all parents know that when a child is first introduced to that kind of environment for long periods of time with other kids, they pretty much catch everything. Um, Luke had gotten several colds so far that, that school year, and it was um, around Thanksgiving time, so Adam at the time was only a couple of weeks old, that Luke came home from preschool, and he was very sick. It was a lot of coughing and congestion, and he was running a low-grade fever. It wasn't anything too concerning, but I still took him to the pediatrician's office just to, to make sure because, of course, I have another child, and then I had this newborn at home. Um, so he was given the what most parents hear from a pediatrician's office. He just has a virus. Just do the rounds of children's Tylenol, children's Motrin, and it will eventually pass. Well, it did pass, and it was also passed down to my daughter, who um, Eden was two years old at the time, and it hit Eden a little bit harder than it did Luke, and perhaps that was because of her age, perhaps it was because she was not in daycare or preschool at the time, but she ran a fever for a solid week, and she had the coughing and congestion in her lungs as well, but she was actually vomiting because it was difficult for her to get that mucus out. Uh, I took her to the pediatrician's office as well a couple of different times, and she eventually 
um, they found an ear infection in her right ear, so she was able to be prescribed some antibiotics, which of course made her instantly almost almost better. And I think at the time, um, I was a little naive. I know for a fact I was extremely sleep deprived from having this newborn and two very sick young children who just want their mommy. And I just honestly thought that Adam would be okay. I was, I was breastfeeding him. We were taking all of the necessary precautions, hand washing. I was trying to isolate him as much as possible. Um, and I just thought, you know, if he catches a cold, been there, done that, he's my third kid. I feel like I'm almost a veteran at this point. Um, right, and but let me started, just ask you. Go ahead. Let me just ask you. Let me just ask you right there. He was full term, correct? He was full term, healthy, no complications at birth. Correct. So Adam was born 40 weeks. He was nine pounds eight ounces, uh, like 22, 23 inches long. Huge baby. Um, I had no issues with my pregnancy. The delivery was smooth. Um, we were able to leave the hospital at a normal time. There was no problems whatsoever. So, wow. he, so I think that's yeah. just so powerful because, you know, um, the majority of the people who are listening to our podcast, they have NICU children. So I just think right. that's a really important point, um, you know, that, you know, we're coming out of the NICU. We're a little more vulnerable. Our immune mm-hmm. systems are not fully developed. So you have a nine-pounder, um, you know, fully healthy, and, but his siblings are sick. So this is about he's been home about three weeks when all of this has started to happen. Okay. So I assume he went with you because he had to go with his older brother, right? He's with mom, so he's with you at the mm-hmm. pediatrician's office when Luke is being examined. Right, for sure. And, um, you know, Eden had gone to the pediatrician's office as well. I mean, you know, I have, I have three small children. And, you know, after a couple of weeks, I want to say it was early December, um, he started to get sick. And it started off just with, um, he had some congestion, and it sounded like he had, you know, some nasal um, drainage, and it it didn't seem really, really bad in the beginning, um, but then he just started to get worse, and I remember him not being able to hold anything down. I was breastfeeding him at the time, but I was even attempting to feed him through a bottle. Um, I was pretty much trying anything, and it just seemed to keep coming up. He was just he was just throwing up because he just couldn't get it down. And I took him to the pediatrician's office, um, and he was actually tested, um, and he tested positive for RSV right there at the pediatrician's office. Um, I remember sitting there in the, in the room, and mind you, this is my seventh time in nine days visiting the pediatrician between three children. And yes, and it was around, you know, it was around Christmas time. It's mid-December, so people are taking off on vacation. I wasn't even seeing my primary pediatrician at the time. There, the, the pediatrician's office was just flooded with germs and sick kids. And I remember um, a tech coming in and saying to me, Mrs. Ireland, your baby has RSV. And I looked at her and I said, what is RSV? And she said, uh, well, I can go grab a doctor and he can, he can better explain it to you. And I've been here for two hours with this very sick baby. And I said, you know what, just forget it. I, I'll go home. I'll, I'll figure it out. There was no pamphlet given to me. There was no explanation of what it was. She literally just said to me, take him home and watch him. And I didn't know what I was supposed to be watching him for at this point. I have never in my life heard of RSV. So that's so before when so with none of the other children um, had you heard of RSV. That was not their diagnosis when they had gone to the pediatrician earlier. And even your pediatrician knowing you had a newborn, uh, they were not trying to you know give you any precautionary information or preventative measures to keep the baby from getting sick? No, I mean, this particular pediatrician's office did not. I, I, I don't know how it is for other offices, but there was never um, 
there was never a, hey, you know, your older kids are really sick. Like, this is some things you need to be aware of. Um, I understand your baby was full term, but there's still, like, RSV is extremely dangerous. There, there was none of, there was nothing. There was no education um, from them on this. So I was just kind of left to my own devices to, to kind of figure out what was going on with him. Um, so, so they've I, given so you took, the diagnosis that day, and yes, they've offered, yep. you've been there two hours, they've offered for someone to come talk to you, and right. so what did you say? Well, yeah, I just, I just, you know, and this is kind of the point where I, I guess just looking back, I have some mom guilt. I mean, yeah, sure, I, I probably should have stayed and waited to talk to a doctor, but I did not send any um urgency from her I did not sense any immediate danger she just simply just said to me your son has RC um you know just take him home and watch him and so I said okay fine I'm gonna go home um and I left and I I took Adam home and that night um and mind you I still don't really know what I'm watching him for I know he's very very sick and that night um he had he could still not hold anything down. He had extreme labored breathing. Um, and the next morning, you know, it was a it was a really rough night. But the next morning, he had not had a wet diaper for 24 hours. So I know he was extremely dehydrated. And um, what I did was my my sister-in-law is a pediatric nurse practitioner. She lives in Arkansas, and she asked me to take a video of him. She said you know, take his shirt off and take a video of his breathing and then send it to me. And so I did that. I took about a 20-second video of his breathing, and she took one look at it, and she said, you need to go to the hospital right now. You need to take him to Children's Hospital right now. And then that's when I started getting really scared. I feel like all of this leading up to this, I didn't feel really terrified until, until she said that to me. Well, I have seen that video, and I can only imagine, you know, that when she saw that all those miles away, she, you know, all the red flags and bells and whistles went off for her as a pediatric nurse saying, you need to take this baby to the hospital. And, um, you know, and you had not, they had not given you any indication of how serious this could be uh, at the pediatrician's office. So you're just handling it as if, one of your other children had been sick. You know, you're you're a veteran mom here. You've got this is your third baby, so right. I I don't I understand why you would feel mommy guilt, but I don't think it is uh, deserved at all because I think you were doing the very best you could with the information that you had, and that's why I'm so thankful that you're sharing your story, and we are going to share that video so other people, uh, when they're questioning, uh, is that labored breathing, and should they take their baby, they will know uh, what mm-hmm. to look for and we get a lot of questions like that on our Facebook page we have had a lot of people post different videos and um, questions about should I take my baby and I just always my first reaction is always yes if you are yes. questioning um, if your baby is having labored breathing especially if you are a NICU graduate um, we we need to take our babies and have them looked at so what happens when you arrive at the hospital so I arrived um, at Nationwide Children's Hospital here in Columbus, um, and they kind of just took one look at him at registration. They just they didn't even really triage him or anything. They sent him straight straight to our room immediately because they knew um, that he had already had this diagnosis, and they could just tell by his breathing that he was um, really struggling. So um, he was rushed to a room, and you know he was hooked up to all these machines. And I think at this point, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, this is, this is really serious. Um, there was a lot of doctors and nurses, and everybody was wonderful. But I just remember sitting there in, you know, the little recliner in the room, and just that's when I, that's when I broke down crying because I did not understand how it went from oh, I think my child just has this little cold to being hooked up to all these machines and them talking all this medical lingo and I don't know what's going on because I'm still here for something that I have never heard of before in my life. And I remember everybody just dressed head to toe with masks 
and they're in these suits and gloves and it was it was really terrifying because I I still I still didn't really know what RSV was and I do have to say though I mean the the staff at Nationwide Children's Hospital was amazing they were incredible obviously they could sense that I'm scared and I I don't know what was going on my husband was even at work I mean I even told him no don't worry about meeting me you know I'm sure it'll be fine because that just kind of gives you an indication of how I just really did not understand how how serious this was um and they they were they were wonderful. They explained to me, you know, what Adam had, what was going on, what machines he's hooked up to, and they kind of gave me an idea of what we were working with. You know, they he was admitted into the hospital on day five of RSV, and they they told me it usually peaks around day five and day six. So when he got to the hospital, he was pretty much at his worst point. He was, his fever was extremely high. Um, he had not opened his eyes. It felt like in days um, he was dehydrated. And as you'll see in the video, the labored breathing with the exposed ribs and the wheezing and the V in his neck, right underneath his neck. And um, he was really struggling. Um, so we um, had amazing care there and we spent five days at the hospital and I think I left the room two times in five days I just I didn't even leave his side I just held him and I cried and I just um you know well, tell me a little bit what, that he'd be okay right well tell me a little bit about what they're saying to you so how how did they explain RSV to you at this point and what did they tell you his prognosis was I know you're saying they they yeah. told you you know he's probably on the around the fifth day which is typically when the symptoms are right. the worst but what what were they telling you at this time about about his condition it was you know it was pretty generic stuff they didn't get too technical with what exa what exactly RSV was I just knew it was a viral um, it was a respiratory virus and they were explaining to me why it was so dangerous was because his lungs were still um, not fully developed it was because of his age um, regardless of what his weight and his size was um, and they were just telling me that he needed to be able to his oxygen levels needed to get back up um, he needed to be able to breathe on his own and he needed to be able to hold down food um, without struggling um, and do all of those things before we could leave um, so it was just kind of really a waiting game I, I honestly didn't know how I, at, at one point I thought oh maybe we'll just be here tonight and then they were telling me no it it's going to be quite a few days before and some babies are there for weeks um, it was just really we didn't know how long he would be there for um, but they did tell me at one point when Adam started to, to make a turn for the better that it if I would not have come he would have died 100 um, oh percent because gosh he was, That's he was terrifying terrifying yeah. if yeah. you had not have taken him to the ER yes. when yes. you did he mm -hmm. he could have passed away absolutely yep oh that yep. is so <laughs> so scary mm -hmm. and I just I think that's why again I just thought it was so important that you and I um, talk on the podcast so other parents can truly understand because I even we post a lot about RSV uh, during um, kind of October November December uh, the higher flu and RSV season and I have to say just recently I actually got a, a negative email from a parent um, kind of shaming me that we were trying to scare parents and and mm -hmm. I I would never want to scare anyone and um, have them you know live in fear but I think what I want people to have is just information and education to make smart wise decisions about their child's care about preventing and also recognizing the warning signs so that we get 
we do get our babies into the care that they need, and we advocate for them. Um, I know because I've heard your story that you went on to change pediatricians later, and I think that is important for us that, you know, if we do not feel like our pediatrician is working with us uh, as a team member, right, and really mm-hmm. listening and advocating and providing us uh, the highest level of care, we have other options. And I know you went on to find uh, a doctor that you feel very comfortable with and has continued to care for your children. But that is just so terrifying to know mm-hmm. that, you know, he came so close, he was that mm-hmm. ill, and you still didn't know. I mean, again, you were sent home from the pediatrician's office with very little information. I assume they told you if it worsens, bring him back in or take him to the ER. Sure. But other than that, you know, there wasn't, she, she, you were told to watch him. Right. So. And I'm, I, I think that I'm just, I'm kind of the kind I'm the I'm the type of parent that of course I'm going to take my my child to the doctor, but if I can do if I can do the rounds of Motrin and Tylenol and things like that before I have to have to go to the doctor, I I don't run every single time they have a scrape or bump. Um, so for me, um, I think part of why he got so sick is because I honestly just I did not understand the immediate danger of it. I know a lot of pediatricians' offices, when because of his age and his condition, probably would have just sent him immediately to the emergency room. Um, mine did not, um, but I I wish that there would have been more education there, um, not just hey, you know, your kid has this. You know, watch him, watch, watch him for dehydration and things of that nature. I think that it not to scare, not as you said, not to be the scare tactic and and put the fear in me, but at the same time to say this is a very serious condition and your child could really suffer from it. Right. And I I want to go back to the hospital. What kind of treatment was he receiving? I assume uh, there was immediate hydration because he, mm-hmm. um, you, as you said, had not had any wet diapers. And I think that's a great thing to point out. That was as a mom, as a seasoned mom, you knew I haven't seen any wet diapers, so my baby is dehydrated. So mm-hmm. probably one of the first things I did was um, put him on an IV. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. They they had him hooked up to an IV. Um, he was put on oxygen. Um, he had um, he was doing breathing treatments. They were doing breathing treatments for him. Um, he was also put on antibiotics immediately because he also tested positive for bronchiolitis, an ear infection, and an enrovirus, I believe. Um, so it wasn't just the RSV. He had a, a bunch of things going on. So mm, he was um, put on the antibiotics and then, you know, he had multiple chest x-rays and um, hooked up the breathing machines and, and, and all of that. So yeah, he, he had a lot of, a lot of tubes going into his little body. That's for sure. Right, and you had not been in the NICU before, so you were not used to seeing that, and your other children had been healthy. So I can only imagine how very traumatic that must have been. And we have several parents who have um, written for our blog and have uh, even written their own books about their babies being re-hospitalized. I know uh, Casey Matthews, in one of my favorite books, um, it talks about how, her, when her daughter had to be rehospitalized um, because of RSV after having a long NICU stay and just how traumatic that experience was. So I think that's really important for NICU parents as well uh, in knowing that, you know, when your baby gets sick again, how, you know, that can bring up a lot of um, psychological mm-hmm. uh, feelings, a lot of emotions um, and trauma of having to see your baby rehospitalized. So we definitely want to prevent that in any way we can. So talk to me a little bit about um, now I know that you blog about this and you advocate uh, for parents. So what, are, what information do you want 
our families to know about RC? What is your best advice for us? Yeah, I, I think um, first and foremost is knowing what it is um, because uh, even, even today um, and even through all my advocacy efforts, um, people are still asking me, you know, what is RSV and um, do, you think, do you think my five-year-old has it? And, you know, you have to explain, of course, that um, pretty much everyone at some point in their time has had RSV, but it's just it's, it's different. It's just the coughing and the congestion in the lungs and not the danger that, of course, a, a preemie or an at-risk child um, or a, a newborn faces. Um, but I think first and foremost is knowing what it is. Um, secondly, I, I would love to see there be more um, information, educational information at OBGYN offices, especially for those moms-to-be that are going to be giving birth during RSV season. I know RSV season differs per state. Um, I'm in Ohio, so we're kind of in the height of it right now. It's October through February or March, um, and Adam, of course, was born in November, so I think it would have been really helpful and beneficial if my um, my doctor said to me, you know, hey, you've got small little children at home, you're pregnant, you're going to be giving birth in the height of cold flu and RSV season, and then I think I would have perked up a little bit. I would have understood. At least I would have heard of it before when I did go to the pediatrician's office and he was diagnosed with it. Um, I would love to see there be more awareness at the pediatrician's offices, as I was mentioning earlier, especially for those families that have older kids um, that perhaps are getting sick because they're in school all the time or they're in daycare. Um, I think there should be more awareness in the daycare setting. Um, You know, I think that um, the providers and the teachers and, and people just at daycares or that may run an in-home um, nanny service or babysitting service, I, I, I would hope that they would know about it. Um, and then also I would love to see there be just more support for mothers and, or parents in general who, are, who do have newborns during cold flu and RSV season that if there's a family member or a friend that has any kind of a sign of a cold, um, I would love, I just think it's so taboo for a mom to say, hey, can you stay away from my newborn? And I just think that there needs to be more support for the parents, for them to know it's okay, you know, you have this new baby, um, whether they're full term or they're not, that if you have any signs of a cold, um, just please stay away for a little while. It's not that we don't love you, it's not that we don't want you to see the baby, but um, I just hope that parents can feel empowered to say that um, to protect their child. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful point. And I joke about it now with one of my friends, but when I first brought my baby home, now Jackson was a pound and a half in the NICU for four months. He came home in November, and I was educated about RSV um, and mm-hmm. um, very, very nervous of him to get sick. And we really did limit all of our visitors. And um, one day a neighbor came over with a beautiful pound cake and rang the doorbell, and, um, you know, I greeted her at the door. I, we really didn't know each other very well. And um, I just thanked her and took the cake and, you know, later wrote her a thank you know, but it was years later when she told me that she thought that I was very rude for not having invited her in to see the baby. And I just thought, wow, you know, that I, you know, clearly did not educate her at the time. I'm sure I must have said something about, you know, uh, why I didn't, you know, allow her in. But anyway, I think, you know, that I was just protecting my baby. I, you know, was not letting even friends and really close friends uh, come and visit. So I was not allowing my neighbor, but we always joke about it now that we are good friends that I had turned her away, even though she brought me (laughs) a pound, a very beautiful pound cake. But you're right. Our first, our first order of business is to protect our children. And so we need to feel comfortable. It is not taboo to say, you know, um, that, just ask if they've had any cold or flu symptoms mm-hmm. and to ask them to wash their hands, to use hand sanitizer. Um, very important um, for 
families that smoke um, for uh, who are around our NICU babies. So uh, smoking does increase the, the, the challenges that our babies have uh, with their lungs and uh, with RSV. So just any of those things that we can do. And, you know, educating our care providers. So if we do have someone coming into the home to care for the baby, or if our baby is in daycare, that we are having those very open uh, dialogue discussions with everyone who's coming in contact with, with our baby, especially during um, this cold and flu season, RSV season, during the winter months. And, um, you know, we see in hospitals, they take precautions. I was at the Children's Hospital just last week, and, um, you know, they ask you all those questions of last time you've had a fever, have you had a cough? and uh, you are uh, washing your hands and using the hand sanitizer before you're actually walking into the hospital. So I think there is more awareness, but uh, we just shouldn't feel embarrassed or uh, Mm -hmm. ashamed of protecting our kids. So tell me, has Adam had any long-lasting challenges because of the sickness early on? You know, he really hasn't, and I I felt so blessed. Um, in that aspect, because I know that there are so, so, so many children who have RSV early on that have asthma and have, um, you know, respiratory um, problems. The only, the only thing I will say with Adam, and partially this may be his age, but um, whenever somebody in the house in, in the household gets a cold, he's going to go down, and he's going to go down hard, and it usually attacks his lungs. Um, but as far as the wheezing or the asthma, he, he doesn't have any signs of it so far. Um, he's a perfectly healthy <laughs> two-year-old that, that's, you know, into everything and just follows his brother and sister around like a little duck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear that. And yeah. I, yeah. I, but that, I think that is common that, you know, once they are sick like that early on, that they a weakened immune system and they are um, more vulnerable and uh, may get sick easier than other children. But I'm so glad to know he hasn't had any long-lasting asthma or other um, bronchial-related issues. That's really good. Well, one of the things I just wanted to revisit for a second um, in talking about, you know, he was a full-term baby. And we see that more of our late-term or near-term babies are being rehospitalized with RSV. And I think the reason is is directly correlates to the fact that they look healthy, right? They look big and healthy, and we're taking them home, and we're not treating them as a micropremie. So when I took my son home, I knew, you know, we've been in the NICU four months. I had seen him, you know, really fight for his life, and we had had so many challenges. And so I was extra precautious. But with my daughter who was only in the hospital for a week and went home um she was about five seven so uh, you know a decent weight no one talked to me about rsv for her i knew Mm -hmm. about it because of her brother but no one really talked to me about how important it was that i protect her as well so i want to get this message out to the moms and dads of those late preterm babies who are maybe in there for a week or a few weeks um, and are going home at a pretty good rate, that they are still very vulnerable um, because, like you said, it's not about the weight. It's about the development, right? And their lungs are are so, so young and still developing. And so, again, our babies are very vulnerable. So I just wanted to make sure that we did address, you know, full-term, late-term, near-term, all of those babies are at risk for RSV. And it is very serious, not, not to scare people, but just for them to ask their doctors the right questions and to know when to take the baby uh, to the emergency room or to the pediatrician for follow-up care and uh, not waiting too long. How tragic it would have been had you have not had your sister-in-law to reach out to and, and show that video. Oh, yeah. I, I can't even – hard for me to even think about um, – so yeah, it, it's it, yeah for sure, for sure. It's hard. It's hard to even think about now, you know, with with him in our lives. But it's you're 100% right. 
Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for writing and blogging and uh, going to conferences and speaking. You're an eloquent speaker. I so enjoyed uh, hearing your story at the National Coalition for Infant Health Summit this year, and I just applaud your efforts. And it's so empowering when we can take something that's very traumatic and difficult uh, in our lives and use that to help other families. So no doubt you are educating so many other parents and they'll know what to look for and hopefully um, prevent their children from having complications from RSV. So thank you so much. What a pleasure it was getting to know you and talk with you today. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you reaching out and letting me be on the podcast today. Well, let's stay in touch, and you keep blogging, and we'll keep following you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. In order for NICU babies to thrive after discharge, they need smart, informed parents who understand their needs and are emotionally and physically capable of caring for a medically fragile child. Peer-to-peer support is an effective tool for helping parents navigate their NICU stay. Support from a caring and informed NICU graduate parent helps a new family feel more capable, confident, and ready to face the journey ahead. To request support, volunteer, or donate, please visit our website at handtohold.org.